Welcome to SLU Law Summations, presenting brief looks at legal matters that matter to you by St. Louis University School of Law, located in the heart of downtown St. Louis. New technologies in healthcare are developed at a rapid pace, with legal standards and the FDA often left playing catch-up. From artificial intelligence to blockchain technology, regulating this industry can be an ever-changing challenge. I'm Maria Sakalis, joined today with my co-host Jessica Sacconi. Hello. Today we are joined by one of the newest members of the SLU Law faculty, Professor Anna Santos-Rutschman. Anna is an expert in biotechnology. She teaches and writes in the areas of health law, intellectual property, innovations in life sciences, and law and technology. Thank you for joining us today, Anna. Thank you for having me. So can you start us off by talking about healthcare innovation and what that looks like in today's healthcare in- industry? Uh, wow, that, that's a big question because from where I look at things, it's a little bit like the future is here. Which is wonderful. We're seeing a lot of exciting things mm-hmm. uh, happen, but also from a legal perspective, we have laws that were enacted a while ago. We have regulations um, that are not that recent, and we're struggling to figure out how the legal system can support the types of innovation that we're seeing. And it's particularly acute, I would say, in the field of healthcare technologies. First, we have a lot of heterogeneity in terms of the technologies that we're seeing developed. Uh, you've mentioned a couple things, Marie. Mm-hmm. You've mentioned blockchain and artificial intelligence. Yes. I would throw into the mix a lot of other things like cutting-edge vaccines that are being developed sure. and then simple things. I like to remind my students that a toothbrush is an FDA-regulated type of technology. So we have a blend of different things, old and new, mm-hmm. and we have these legal regimes that are a little bit of one-size-fits-all. So it's it's an exciting time to be thinking about these issues, to be teaching them here, to have students think about uh, how things are evolving. But it's also challenging from a legal perspective, make all of this fit into the types of legal reasoning and the legal regimes that we've been used to. Sure. So artificial intelligence is a buzzword we hear in almost every single industry, and it's long been heralded as the future of transformative technology. So what are some of the ways that you see artificial intelligence being put to use in the med tech field? So artificial intelligence makes use of computational power that allows us to go through vast, vast amounts of data and just figure out connections that human brain alone could not put together. Mm -hmm. Uh, So for example, you can use a lot of patient's uh, data to figure out what's similar between particular medical conditions or what's most effective in terms of treatment. Mm -hmm. Uh, You can use potentially artificial intelligence in drug discovery if you want to isolate particular molecules or compounds. So there's a number of different things that you can do with artificial intelligence from drug discovery to just, you know, figuring out what the best treatment for a particular disease, say, in a subset of uh, the population would be. So again, very different things that the technology itself enables us to do. What's common about all forms of artificial intelligence in healthcare, and for that matter, um, elsewhere, is that we're talking about algorithms that we don't fully understand how they operate. So they're opaque. Um, Professor Nicholson Price refers to um, the use of artificial intelligence uh, in health uh, innovation in general as black box medicine. 
which kind of illustrates the opacity of these algorithms. From a regulatory and a legal perspective, this poses a number of hurdles, but basically the idea is that now computational power is helping us figure out some connections that by ourselves we would not be able to. And this is already playing out uh, in health innovation technologies. We're seeing apps already incorporating uh, AI. The FDA has been paying attention to this, uh, and they're considering on how to regulate some of these technologies. So the field is definitely changing. So what are some of the biggest legal hurdles that you see? Oh, there are several. So as I mentioned in, in the beginning, uh, we are talking about legal regimes that were not devised with AI types of innovation mm -hmm. in, in mind. So take, for instance, uh, the case of intellectual property and particularly the patent system. The patent system was pretty much devised to just incentivize innovation. Not a one-size-fits-all, but almost, right? If you invent something meritorious, you get a patent for about 20 sure. years. Um, and we were thinking of other types of technology, and we set out a number of requirements that have to be met if you want a patent. So think back to the idea of opaque algorithms. From a legal perspective, this might clash directly with your ability to get a patent. Mm -hmm. uh, for instance, when you apply for a patent, you have to enable other inventors to come to the same invention that you came to. Mm -hmm. It's put in, you know, in, in pretty loose terms. You have to have a written description of your invention. Now, if you're not entirely sure of what the algorithm is doing, I mean, you have a pretty good sense, but you cannot fully explain every one of the steps. Mm -hmm. The patent system might not be the best locus to incentivize innovation, and yet that's our default system for incentivizing innovation from a legal perspective. Mm -hmm. We give out patents because we think they will lead people to invest in a particular area that's risky and costly to invest in. So AI doesn't quite fit the mold very well. Mm -hmm. This is not just true of AI. There are other fields um, that also have problems, you know, fitting uh, the parameters of the patent system. But clearly AI has some, uh, you know, challenges to overcome. Some of these things might not be patentable just because of the statutory requirements. The way the Supreme Court seems to be headed, at least you know, over this past decade in terms of patent decisions, uh, it might be very difficult uh, to patent some of the things that would be important, you know, software. You talked about the Supreme Court, or you mentioned the Supreme Court. Mm -hmm. What are some cases that have kind of put some influence out there on this? The Supreme Court has been restricting um, the scope of things that can be patented because we don't want to block innovation uh, essentially in, in some uh, areas or sub-areas. But one thing that has become very difficult to patent per se are algorithms. Um, there's been a number of cases culminating in Mayo uh, in which the Supreme Court has really made it hard to patent algorithms. Now if AI is based on opaque algorithms, Patenting just, you know, an AI program, for instance, might be complicated unless we pair that program with something else. This in very layman's um, terms. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to ask a quick follow-up question. So you've been talking a lot about the patent side of things and the intellectual property side of, of um, AI, but what are some of the other 
implications of artificial intel the artificial intelligence that you're looking at mm -hmm. so the patent side of things relates a lot to the incentives um, discourse so mm -hmm. we want people to invest in this particular field and sometimes there are hurdles to that um, the other areas look a bit at related um, components of AI development, but they focus more on things that might happen through the use of, of AI. So consider mm -hmm. um, areas that don't have much to do with, with intellectual property, but will affect the way we use AI technologies. I'm thinking about tort liability, for instance, mm -hmm. right? If use of a particular program based uh, on AI ends up injuring a patient or a consumer, who's liable for that? Mm -hmm. I mean, again, our torch regime was right. not designed with computers in mind, right? And mm -hmm. this is a very broad formulation, but again, the opacity of the algorithms poses additional uh, concerns, and it's still, it's an unanswered question. We don't quite know uh, what will happen in, in those cases. Mm -hmm. uh, it, all of this stretches beyond beyond torts. Think about also regulatory regimes. So mm -hmm. what do you bring to the FDA for them to approve uh, your technology? What does it mean to monitor the safety of a technology that's opaque, mm -hmm. for instance? Um, so there's a, a number of other uh, areas. And, and privacy, right? We have right. A, an ongoing debate about how privacy has evolved and often about how you know, our expectations of privacy have decreased. Take the case of social media, for instance, which have vastly changed our perceptions of privacy. They've eroded privacy in a ways. They've given, you know, way to calls for broader notions of privacy. We need to protect more than we used to. And AI is on track to pretty much create a similar type of revolution in the way we understand privacy. Mm -hmm. Again, we need massive, massive amounts of data. A lot of it, or all of it, we hope, will be de-identified, but you as a patient, you might end up in a subgroup of people, and you know that there was an algorithm that put you there, you don't fully understand mm -hmm. why, so there will be new questions that we have to answer, just strictly from a privacy perspective, mm -hmm. in addition to all the problems we have been discussing. So I, I don't have a whole lot of answers at this mm -hmm. point for you, other than saying that this is a field that's shifting so quickly, and soon enough we'll have to come to terms with these old legal regimes that we have in these new problems. Again, this is not the only field where this happens, but healthcare applications of AI, I think, are a prime spot for evolving understandings of how the law should work. And um, I, I, I should mention this. Um, I don't have these answers, but I'm very fortunate here at SLU to be able to teach a course on health innovation mm -hmm. and health technologies. And a lot of my students are writing on topics like mm -hmm. this. I tell them that they're going to be the ones saving the world. Right now, I have students writing on AI and radiology and AI and privacy, blockchain and, and the like. So this is an exciting field, also a, a time of great uncertainty, but an, an exciting field to be you know, writing on and thinking about. And even if you're not uh, in, in law school, this will affect your life for sure. sure. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, speaking of blockchain, which is not a sentence that I've ever used before, so thank <laughs> you for that. Um, you've actually written about the use of blockchain technology in healthcare. So most people know of blockchain systems from Bitcoin technology. 
for people like myself who are still struggling with what that means. Can you walk us through that? Mm -hmm. So you probably don't start a whole lot of sentences with speaking of blockchain, but you encounter <laughs> it all the time, right? Sure. Uh, and I'm one of those people who think that blockchain is probably going to be much more helpful in areas like um, healthcare than actually <laughs> cryptocurrencies, which is what, what it was developed uh, right. for. Blockchain really relies on probability and cryptography to make things um, safer, more secure. The idea is that by having a distributed ledger that records every transaction, but the information is spread out through different blocks in the chain or modules, uh, you'll have a much more secure system for storing and sharing information that you had before. And the idea was that um, this cryptographic system was being used to track uh, financial exchanges, but now you're seeing a host of different uh, companies, institutions using blockchain for different purposes. Uh, we're seeing the CDC, the FDA, uh, healthcare providers all now uh, piloting projects using blockchain technology, and it's it's a really promising field. So the idea is that in like the healthcare industry, so hospitals and things like that, that you're transferring patient data like that. Is that what you're thinking? And like kind of easing the way that that, that is transferred. So one of the things that I mentioned in the, the piece that I wrote for the conversation that you alluded to is that the city of Boston has dozens of different systems that store patient data, and they just don't talk to one another. They're mm -hmm. siloed. So if you're a patient and you go to different providers, there's your information split in two. Mm -hmm. Whereas you can use blockchain as a centralized chain, and people given access to that more secure system mm -hmm. can update information in a reliable way, in a way that's, you know, pretty hard to falsify and so if you have a system that's based on a blockchain and different providers contributing information to the chain then the hope is that you will have a much more accurate and complete system this is not to say that it will necessarily uh, happen so one of the points that i make in the article is that yes if you build a lot of different chains then we'll have the same type of silo problems right, right. but you know if you have a system that's more secure than the ones we have now and f if people do adopt this system these systems particularly at an institutional level then there is something to be gained from that mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. absolutely what are some other things coming down the pipeline that you are keeping an eye on there's definitely too much to to mention here i do a lot of work with vaccines i mean when people hear the expression health innovation, they tend to think about more, you know, what people call cutting edge technologies. Mm -hmm. So this sort of thing that we've been discussing, I've done a lot of work with vaccines. And, you know, in the aftermath of Zika, Ebola, mm -hmm. big outbreaks, yeah. um, you know, reduced funding um, in the public sector uh, for basic research, I worry a lot about technologies that are already familiar to us, but we need to keep developing like mm -hmm. vaccine. Um, technology. There are some types of vaccines that are being developed right now that are entirely new. Um, I'm thinking about DNA vaccines, for instance. So there's some hope that even fields that we tend to think of as more traditional will evolve in new directions. So I track that. And going back to the beginning, again, a toothbrush is a medical technology. Mm -hmm. So a lot of things are semi-futuristic almost here, but they kind of belong to our vision of what the future might look like. But all sorts of fields have exciting developments going on, and I'm just happy to you know, be able to explore that in my writing as a professor here at SLU and see the work my students are doing in these fields. Yeah, absolutely. Excellent. 
All right. Well, just to wrap us up, since you are a new professor here at SLU Law this fall, can you just share some favorite St. Louis things that you've discovered since moving here? Sure. The Billiken, number one. I know that's both, you know, SLU and St. Louis, but I have one at home. I have one in my office. So That's awesome. Uh, the I, new one? I, both. Um, I have an old one and a oh new good. one. Oh, good. Oh, good. And my picture in the library in the scholarship uh, repository, it's me in a Billiken shirt and the arch. That's so cool. I'm, I'm mm -hmm. very proud of that one. What do I like about St. Louis? Uh, a lot, a lot of things. I like the art museum. Mm -hmm. I like the hill next to it. Uh, I like Francis Park. I play tennis mm -hmm. there. Yes. I love some of our amazing, amazing restaurants. Just came from a Vietnamese restaurant Ooh, right excellent. now. I like how people let me s change lines when I make a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> I like how people say hi uh, yeah. in the street when you know you go walking around a neighborhood or, mm. or downtown uh, and I'm I'm really falling in love with the city pretty much as I fell in love with SLU when I first came. Wonderful. We, well we are so happy to have you yes. here and thank you for taking the time to explain all this crazy new healthcare innovation and technology that um, I think I've wrapped my head around a little bit. So, <laughs> such uh, a fascinating addition to the SLU Law faculty, too. It's such a unique blend of scholarships. So, yeah, thank you so much, Anna. And um, tune in next time for the next issue of SLU Law Summations. Thank you for joining us for SLU Law Summations. Produced by St. Louis University School of Law.